about to hear my conversation with Arup Data, who leads our quantitative global equity team. He's just celebrated his five-year anniversary on his track record of the McKinsey Emerging Markets Fund. Arup talks all about what has changed in quants over the past five years and where he thinks the business is going. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investment Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be here with Arup Data. Arup leads our global quantitative boutique. Arup, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Matt. It's nice to be here. Arupa, I've had you back as a bit of a celebration. Uh, you're the first mandate that uh, you came to McKenzie and started managing, which is the McKenzie Emerging Market uh, Fund, uh, is uh, has just reached uh, five years, uh, which is a, an important track record date for many managers. Uh, over those five years, uh, we've seen uh, it, uh, an exceedingly uh, good performance. Um, I, I'm referencing numbers sort of at the end of May, but you're in uh, top decile. Uh, within that category for uh, for the emerging markets over uh, three and five years and one year. So really an excellent job. Uh, and Arup, what I really want to spend the, the conversation talking about is just how quantitative investing has changed over the past five years and then also looking forward from there. So maybe I'll start uh, by just asking you about your experience at McKinsey. Uh, I know that you joined about six years ago, but how's it been so far? Thanks, Matt, for asking. It's been a pleasure to be part of McKinsey for now almost six years. I believe I'm just a few months shy of my six-year anniversary in September of this year. Uh, as you alluded to, for quantitative managers, uh, when you are hired, you have to build your stock selection models, risk control, portfolio construction from scratch. Uh, it takes a few months. So that's why even though I've been here almost six years, we just hit our five-year track record for our initial launches, including the McKinsey Emerging Markets Fund. I would say it's been a real pleasure being here. Uh, one of the reasons I joined McKinsey was the boutique structure where I, I get to do or my team gets to do what we do best, in my view, which is focus on investing, whereas the larger McKinsey organization takes care of everything else. And that's worked out exactly as we had hoped for. Uh, another reason we had joined McKinsey was uh, McKinsey is a large Canadian asset manager, and we knew it would be a source of funding for us to launch different strategies. And, and I, I'm happy to say that we have really used that advantage to launch many strategies throughout the world. Though again, I'll note that the McKinsey Emerging, Fund, Emerging Markets Fund is a flagship launch, and now just not of five years in terms of track record. That's great, Arup. Um, so thanks for the, the background. I appreciate the comments on, on your experience uh, at McKenzie. Uh, let's turn to sort of uh, your bread and butter, which is quantitative uh, investing. Um, and uh, maybe we'd start by sort of going back five years or six years when you started to rebuild your models. Um, and, uh, and just to try to have a better sense of what's changed from where we are today uh, versus when you started to rebuild those models. Absolutely, Matt. So I'll start with what's remained a constant for me. This is my 31st yeah. year in the equity markets and 30th as a quantitative equity portfolio manager. One thing I've always prided myself on is trying to be as core 
or another word is as all weather as possible. I don't want to be put into buckets of I'm a value manager or I'm a growth manager or I'm a quality manager. I like to employ all of those ideas and I'm mentioning only three because markets tend to be usually value market or a growth market or a quality market. I tend to use all of those ideas when I pick stocks. And therefore, that philosophy of being core or all weather has always remained with me. Of course, as I learn from the markets, I tend to become more and more robust in trying to be all weather. But what has changed underneath it are various factors we quants or quantum investors use in picking stocks. So let's say we have three main super factors, value, growth, and quality. I'll next like to touch on a lot of the innovations we have done here in the last almost six years we have been at McKinsey. I'll start by saying that having done this for 30 plus years, the last six years have been the richest six years I've, in terms of new ways to pick stocks that I've unearthed hmm. in the 30 plus years I've been doing this in the industry. So I have a terrific team. Many of us came together from the previous shop and we have put our heads down and found many new ideas. The last five years have also been very rich for quants in terms of a lot of new techniques coming into play. Artificial intelligence, natural language processing, machine learning, a lot of the buzzwords. And we tend to employ all of those in terms of our factors today. And I would say AI, machine learning, NLP, we had no factors employing those ideas when I joined McKinsey almost six years back. So let me walk you through, Matt, a few different factors that we have added and in no particular sure. order. Firstly, I would, we added a new idea to value stocks, which is what we call comprehensive value. And I would say this is, uh, I'll start with this and I like to give the Tesla example in the US. Uh, there are equivalents of that throughout the world, but I think being North American, we can perhaps understand the Tesla example better. Um, Tesla uh, in the gig standard definition, which is what all investors use in terms of doing peer relative valuation, Tesla would be bucketed with other auto manufacturers like Ford, General Motors, uh, Toyota, and will always look exceedingly uh, expensive, whether very expensive or somewhat expensive. So what this new factor comprehensive valuation does is goes around the gigs classification in defining peers. So you've looked at other classifications. There are databases out there which define competitors for you. And in that, if you look at Tesla's competition is not just your auto manufacturers, but it's also Uber because Tesla's trying to be in sure. you know, self-driving motors or even NVIDIA, which is in the semiconductor space. So right. if you take all those into account, suddenly Tesla's valuation does not lose as prohibitively expensive as it may in the more traditional definition of valuation. So that's again going towards making our process more robust, keeping with the times. One more point on that is um, Gigs did this to us, MSCI Gigs, uh, 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 sorry, S&P Gigs did this to us about five, ten years back by breaking out in the US, Alphabet, Microsoft and Amazon into three different sectors. But guess what? As we all talk about cloud services, those three are the largest competitors in providing cloud services. So therefore, that's why a new way of valuation, a new way of payer definition is definitely required. And that's something we embraced a few years back. So moving to the next idea, Matt, it's ESG, you know, especially Mm. in Canada, 
there's a lot of talk about uh, you know uh, cop 26 cop 27 uh, you know what you're doing to the environment etc i would say starting two and a half years back we added esg as one of the quality factors we look at when we pick stocks again this idea was all built by us it took a lot of time and effort building you know the ex exact esg factors we want to look at when we rank energy stocks amongst each other or when we rank technology stocks amongst each other right. we did all of the work in 2020 and employed this esg factor as part of our quality framework again to me esg speaks to the quality of a company you know and we added that to a quality framework under the quality super factor about two and a half years back so I would say that's another addition we have made in the last five years since I've joined. Now, segueing from comprehensive valuation in ESG, let's go to a specific country, China. Oh, sure. We did we did a lot of, uh, and the reason I'm talking about China is even though it's becoming a smaller weight, it's still a dominant weight of the MSCI Emerging Markets Index today at about thirty percent. Right. You know. So what we so as China was a big part of the benchmark and also of our universe. We started looking at whether we have the right mix of quantitative way to look at stocks for China as we have in rest of Asia. Historically, I've looked at emerging Asia as one region where what that means is for India versus China versus South Korea versus Taiwan, we'll be using the same amount of valuation when we pick stocks, the same amount of growth, etc., etc., in terms I of see. how I figure out the ranking of a stock. However, when we did our research on China more, about three years back, we figured out that China is a slightly different beast compared to the rest of Asia, emerging Asia. Why? The why is very simple. There's a reason why there's a major rivalry going on between the US and China in terms of technology dominance. US right. is not uh, having this rivalry with any other country in the world. The reason is that Chinese have become very innovative, and they have their growth stocks in all sectors of the world. Unlike other countries like Korea, Taiwan, where Taiwan, all of the growth stocks are in the semiconductor field. Sure. So what does that mean? If you have a lot of growth stocks from EV manufacturers to semiconductors to pharmaceuticals in China, a lot of growth names, what that tells you is perhaps the growth factor needs to be used more in picking stocks in China no, compared to rest of Asia. So that's what we unearthed when we did this research. We figured out that the more optimal way to pick Chinese stocks used to use a little bit more emphasis on the growth parameters of a stock compared to what we do in rest of emerging Asia, where it's much more of a balance between growth, value and quality. So that's how we broke out China in terms of stock picking. We only look at Chinese stocks amongst each other, employ more growth in that process today versus rest of Asia where we use more of a balance. So I segued from comprehensive valuation to ESG and now to China. Right. Now the fourth idea I'd like to talk about is, as I said, the last five, six years have been very robust. I want to talk to you about five or six ideas on this mat. The fourth idea is adding, making a process even more robust in terms of its core or all-weatherness. What do I mean by that? Historically, for quantitative stock pickers like me, the way we looked at growth was looking at sell-side analyst changes in their forecast for a company. Are they raising the earnings forecast of a company? Are they raising the sales forecast or dividend right. forecast? Those are the catalysts that you need 
on top of valuation when you want to buy a stock. But what was lacking, and I'm glad that we unearthed this in 2019, was that this is all short-term growth. Analyst revisions, all that tells you is, where is the earnings going today versus what I thought it was yesterday? Right. It's missing the bigger picture or the long-term growth. So we did a lot of work on long-term growth, which is not looking for today versus yesterday's growth, but looking for the last five years growth of a company, actual terms, and the next five years forecast growth from a company from an analyst perspective. So in other words, the long-term growth measure looks at the 10 years of growth for a company and makes our growth measure a much better balance between short-term growth and long-term growth. Hmm. Towards that, we also look at things like innovation, patents, et cetera, et cetera, all in that mix. So therefore, by adding this, we made a process more robust. And this is what has really enabled us to stand out, especially across quant managers in 2020, when many of them struggled, whereas we had a strong year. And I'll also say about this year, where we're having a strong year in emerging markets, in most of developed markets, and that's because we added a lot of this innovation, long-term growth to our mix. And guess mm. what are the stocks that are leading the charge this year in the US? Those are right. the NVIDIAs of the world and names like that, where on a valuation basis alone, you won't own them. But if you look at their long-term growth metrics like that, you're likely to own them as we do. Mm. So that fourth idea was about making us more core, then let's move on to the latest and greatest that quants are talking about. As I mentioned, text parsing, which was off sure. limit for us quants, which is you can use computer codes to look through any text, whether it's financial statements, whether it's management reporting section, whether it is sell side analyst reports, any other text. It's all under the NLP framework called natural language processing. And I'm right. happy to say that we are using some of those techniques, looking at say financial statements, 10Ks and Qs or the equivalents in the rest of the world and making some inferences based on the text companies are using. And that's been a part of a process for three and a half to four years now. Okay. That's on the NLP slash linguistics front. And now we are not only doing it in the English language where we started, in the last one year, we have added it in Korean, Mandarin and Japanese languages, which makes us allow, use it also in areas like emerging markets which right. we did not do early on when our initial models were built in the English language. Right. And last on this framework is ending with machine learning AI. I would say I give my team credit to have figured out using, and to me what machine learning AI are all really nonlinear techniques, right. uh, you know, where uh, uh, basically we use much more recent techniques to figure out, is there a better way to rank a stock? And I can tell you, my team has really put in a lot of effort there. And we came up with a new idea called fundamentals prediction, which is using this technique, machine learning AI techniques, we are actually better predicting various fundamentals of a company like the dividends or the sales of a company. And we are doing a better job doing that than sell-side analysts are. And so that's the last factor I want to talk about. It's called fundamentals prediction. And we just employed it in our live process about a couple of months back. Okay. So in summary, Matt, a long-winded answer. You know, I just told you how we have made improvements to valuation, comprehensive value, quality, which was things like ESG, and then growth, which was long-term growth, fundamentals prediction, machine learning, 
NLP, etc. That's that's wonderful, Arup. I appreciate the comprehensive uh, answer uh, in touching on such a, a broad amount of uh, work. I suppose it has been your life of work for the last five years, so uh, I'm not surprised that there's a lot to go through, uh, both you and, and the team. Um, what I did find interesting, I love your your, your thoughts on this. Uh, when you opened uh, that answer, you talked about what I expected you to talk about, which is AI, natural language processing, machine learning, all sort of the buzzwords that I intuitively think apply to quants um, and, and, and quantitative investment management. But when you go through these different uh, changes that you've made, a lot of it, it isn't really technology-based. This idea of comprehensive value and putting uh, uh, companies together that are actually better peers, ESG, uh, recognition that China deserves its own model. All of those really aren't technology uh, driven. Do you expect the next five years to be more technology driven? Or do you still think that there's going to be lots of opportunities to apply what I'll call a bottom up sort of non-technology driven research to improve your process? So I'll, I'll hedge myself in this by answering that sure. both. <laughs> Um, just as I shared with you, you know, the last two factors we unearthed uh, that I talked about were really what I call technology-based NLP, machine learning, AI, whereas Matt, as you pointed out, ESG, comprehensive value, more robust long-term growth are more, yeah. you know, just becoming a better investor, which is what we have done all, all through life, you know, as you learn from the market, get better. I would predict the next five years, which will not be any different than the last five. Yes, one thing I can predict is just like other strong quant managers, we continue to deploy a lot of resources towards machine learning, AI, NLP. Just like we have taken NLP so far to English and then to Mandarin, Korean and, uh, and Japanese, we'll now take it to other countries, you know, right. and see how it works in other languages. You know, that's the difficulty of the whole world. We speak many different languages and some countries speak many languages even within itself. Sure. So the, I would say there'll be still more work we'll be doing on the NLP front. Again, an area where when I joined McKinsey almost six years back, it felt like it was off limit to me. And that was an area where I thought my wife, who, who is a fundamental equity analyst, was really good at and quants could not get there. And today right. that's really fertile ground for us and we'll continue our work on that area. Similarly, just like we have predicted, fundamentals better. I'm sure we'll find out new ways of doing things using machine learning, AI techniques like that. And even those techniques, Matt, will change. Those techniques are fast moving and you need to be on top of that. And that's why we have a right. very strong team, many of them very recently schooled, combined with experience like me. But I'll go forward. But on ESG, for example, I think that's a moving target. ESG mm. is one thing where when I first did my ESG research, before I joined McKinsey at my previous shop, it was all about governance. That's what seemed to be the dominant factor. But the last few years, as I've done ESG work here, firstly, when we employed version one, and then we have just employed version two of our ESG model just a couple of months back. That was only two years after we launched version one. And the reason I'm saying this is ESG data is getting better and better every day as we speak. Right. The data was rather not so good five, 10 years back getting better. And also the market's focus may be changing there from governance to environment and perhaps social in the future. So with right. all of that, ESG is one area we'll continue to revisit every two years to see if we can do a better job of predicting ESG credentials of a company today based on all the new data out there compared to what we could have done two or four years back. Um, 
so one more so i call this more traditional as you mentioned matt one more was traditional just like i figured out long term growth in my mix as i'm making me more all weather i'll continue to be trying to be as robust and all weather as possible so that right. the main reason is i don't want to be exposed in markets and go to a client and say oh this was a value environment and i'm a growth manager i struggled or sure. vice versa that's not an example i like to usually have to say or an excuse i would like to say so therefore i try to avoid that so if i find other ways to make us more robust we'll continue to work on that and last but not the least on this framework we are also spending a lot of time on timing stuff and okay. again i'm an old school quant where i like to use a good balance of value growth quality in my process for most of the time not all the time what do i mean by that sometimes you get a eureka moment or a huge opportunity where you want to actually bet on one of those three ideas more than usual i've mm. done it three times successfully at the height of the global financial crisis the internet bubble and also the pandemic where the value mm. opportunity was so huge that we put extra weight on valuation as we pick stocks and then as it played out the value opportunity became less so this time around around the 2022 framework we undid that and went back to a normal mix having successfully timed value in what i call three sigma opportunities which happen has so far happened only once every decade for me right. i would like to spend resources of vr towards seeing can we also time things like growth and quality hmm. is growth looking way too expensive should we now sort of uh, uh, you know um, underweight that factor for one now same equality or vice versa so that's another area where i would like to see if you can time some of our factors but only in the extreme cases that is when it's a three sigma opportunity because if you time things early you can be wrong for a long period of time which i don't right. want to be so to right. me these are sort of the frameworks we're looking at you mm -hmm. never can predict where you'll end up because yeah, as course. you do research some research does not pan out others pan out but in answer to your question matt it's a good blend of the latest greatest and mm -hmm. what i call more traditional investing which has been around forever right uh, I, i love that uh, that answer Rupin. it makes a lot of sense on, on where you see the business going Um, maybe one last final question. As you were speaking, and um, I've personally been uh, wrapped into sort of ChatGPT and these different uh, models that allow um, classical history majors like myself to dabble in uh, in sort of computer technology in a little bit more robust way uh, than we happened in the past. Do you think that there will be a inevitable conversion of quant and fundamental? Um, given how easy some of these tools are to start using, do you think? Fundamental analysts start using it a lot more, and, it, and vice versa. Given that uh, machines are now able to do text parsing and and uh, and the like, that perhaps the two disciplines become more similar as opposed to less. I would argue that the two disciplines have already got a bit closer than they were when I joined the industry. You know, sure. And I would say you're right. Chat GPT makes anyone who becomes better at what they call prompt engineering. a buzzword these days which was not really around 10 years back uh you know uh, uh if you do a little bit of practicing you can ask the right questions of these kinds of databases and get the right answer you know you need to spend some time towards that which as you said Matt you don't need to be a programmer to do that those are all in plain english 
so to me, yes, I mean, uh, using chat GPT uh, can make it a little bit more of a level playing field. The way we are looking at chat GPT is our understanding and we are making steady progress towards that is can we use it to make us even more efficient? I believe we are on a very efficient 10% uh, elite team in my view who are very well trained and and uh, and a very high productivity. However, what we are finding out, this is early stages for us, is that if you use chat GPT, perhaps you can done 50 to 80% of your coding in no time by employing right. chat GPT. And then you can use all the skills you have, the smartness you have to perfect it and get the rest 30 to 50%. I can see us going that way in terms of a use of chat GPT. It will just make you more productive. So mm -hmm. in that sense, I think it may help out both quants and fundamental managers in terms of making you more productive. Um, but of course, as I said, uh, you need to put in that time and effort to make sure you're doing it the proper way because ChatGPT also is known. We have already done all those test cases where they have given you wrong answers. So you want to chat, use ChatGPT in the area where it's strong, like coding and so on, and not in the area where it may not be strong, at least as it stands today. Right. Well, Arup, uh, let's call it there. Uh, thanks so much for spending time. Congratulations on the five-year track record of the Emerging Markets uh, product. Uh, just just phenomenal. Uh, and I look forward to the next five years. Thanks, Arup. Same here, Matt. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure talking about all this. content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 